Chapter 34, Part 2 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Friedrich Lederhose, translated by Gottlieb Frederick Crottle, 1826-1907. to The Last Years of His Life Real Years of Sorrow, Part 2. The refutation of the Frankfurt Recess, already mentioned as prepared by the Vimerians, was sent to the Elector Augustus by the Dukes of Saxony. Melanchthon received it, and now prepared his reply to the Vimerian document. He passes over the calumnies in it for the sake of peace, and does not agree with them, that it is altogether improper for civic rulers to set up articles of religion. He would rather rejoice at this and call upon others to be thankful that they thus distinctly confess their adherence to the true doctrine and seek unity among themselves. He refutes the various attacks upon the articles of justification and good works of the Lord's Supper and of the Adiaphora. As a synergistic dispute, of which we have already spoken, was also drawn in, and the theologians of Jena intended it all as an attack upon the aged Melanchthon. Although their assaults were ostensibly directed against Pfeffinger of Leipzig, the gulf was widened, and the animosity continued to increase. Both sides sent forth the most bitter publications. In Thuringia, they even proceeded from mere words to deeds. For when the Dukes of Saxony had published their confutation in the beginning of the year 1559, in which all heresies, that also concerning free will, were condemned, Victorinus Dregel and the pastor Andrew Hugel of Jena refused to submit to it. They were both seized and taken to the castle of Lechtenburg. Melanchthon thus writes to a friend in regard to this. During the night, succeeding the joyous festival of Easter, the aged Pastor Andrew, together with Victorinus, were seized at Jena and carried to the neighboring castle of Lechtenburg, in which is the prison for robbers. The piety and moderation of these men had gained them a distinguished reputation. But Flacius is burning with rage against us, he proves this by thus ill-treating these men, who, although they are not connected with us, are yet displeased with the harsh measures employed against us. The elector sent this confutation to Wittenberg, that an opinion might be given in regard to it. It is only with great pain that I am able to read those subtleties and tricks, Melanchthon writes to Crossovius, but I shall freely express my opinions to the prince and shall entreat him graciously to dismiss me, if he is better pleased with this venomous fabrication. His opinion is dated on the ninth of March, and speaks in very plain terms. Its principal objection against the Vimerian computation is this, that it does not recognize there, the Wittenbergers, efforts against the blasphemers of the Son of God, such as Servetus and Campanus, Schwinkfeld, and the antinomians. The Vimerian book does not say a word of this, particularly of the antinomians, 
for there are many in many places who are filled with this heresy, who consider themselves holy, although they continue to live in sin against their own conscience. The confutation also speaks of old and new Zwinglians, without mentioning whom they refer to by the term new. Now they wish to be looked upon as the most zealous devourers of the Pope, and yet they dare not say a word about the grossest of all idolatries, that there can be no sacrament except according to the instituted form. He rejects the proposition, as he had done before, that the body of Christ is present everywhere, in wood and stone, and says, I abide by the formula presented to the elector, and it is certainly true that the Lord Jesus Christ is essentially present in his ordinance, but not present as wood and stone are present. He gives us comfort and bestows his body and blood upon us. In regard to free will, it is very evident that their principal attacks are against me, Philip. He rejects the doctrine that all works, good and evil, must be done as they are, and asserts that man, even before regeneration, has a free will to maintain external propriety of conduct. And if this liberty shall partially belong to our sinful nature, how much more shall this be the case after regeneration, when we obtain help by the influence of the Holy Ghost? We regard the word of God as the beginning, which word condemns sin, and at the same time offers forgiveness and mercy for the Lord's sake. We maintain that a man must regard the preaching of both the law and the gospel, and if he comforts himself with the gospel and finds comfort in true sorrow, it is certain that God sends his Holy Spirit into his heart, who continues to operate there, and a conflict continues throughout life, in order that faith may become stronger. This rule must remain. Grace precedes the will accompanies it. God draws no man but him who is willing. He also proceeds to speak of Osiander, Stankerus, of the proposition, good works are necessary to salvation, and particularly also of the endophoria, in the manner repeatedly referred to on previous occasions. In regard to ceremonies, he says that the two dukes of Saxony had formerly come to the same conclusion, and that the present condemnation applied to their resolutions as well as our own, the Landgrave fully concurred in this opinion and sent it to Duke John Frederick, who remarked that Melanchthon had not been mentioned once in the confutation, and then he exemplified the old, saying, Whoever it hits cries out. However, the Duke was prevailed upon to release the prisoners. In August 1560, Flacius and Strigel held a discussion in which Flacius unintentionally so far forgot himself that he maintained that original sin was the substance of human nature. He was greatly persecuted and distressed on account of this proposition. He died at Frankfurt on the 11th of March, 1575, uttering these words, Jesus Christ, thou Son of God, have mercy upon me. The pure gospel had also penetrated into Bavaria and had found many friends there, so that the Chamber of Deputies of the Duchy 
petitioned Duke Albert in the year 1556 that he should permit the pure preaching of the gospel and the use of the cup to the laity. But the duke, whom Melanchthon called a man of mind and wisdom, would not listen to it, for he had given himself up to the influence of the Jesuits. They finally succeeded in securing the suppression and banishment of all the friends of the gospel. In order to ferret out all heresy, they prepared 31 articles for the use of the Inquisition. Whoever was not able to reply to these in a satisfactory manner should be punished and banished. These articles were published in September 1558, and Melanchthon saw them during the same month. In the month of May of the following year, he published his Answers Against the Wicked Articles of the Bavarian Inquisition. This publication is one of the most important of his works, because it may be called his last confession, his spiritual swan song, Dying Strain. Of these Bavarian articles, he says, Whosoever reads these idolatrous articles, which have been prepared by a dishonorable raving monk of Bavaria, let him not be deceived by the appearance of the church, but remember that we should not blaspheme acknowledged truth, and that blasphemers of acknowledged truth and murderers of the members of Christ are not the church of God. He not only deals thus with the 31 articles, but also with those articles which had created dissensions in the Protestant church. We are already acquainted with his views, according to which, appealing to Luther, he maintains that in the work of conversion grace proceeds and the human will follows. As Chrysostomus says, God draweth, but only him who is willing. Yet at the same time, he also admitted that God so operated in all his saints that their will remained in a passive condition. He also refutes Servetus and the Anabaptists and confessed the orthodox doctrine of the union of the two natures in Christ. He was also destined to behold a violent dispute in regard to the Lord's Supper, which arose in his native land, the Palatinate. A certain Tileman Hessus, who was born at Wessel in the year 1526, and had been a pupil of Melanchthon, had, upon his recommendation, been called to Heidelberg in 1558 as professor and general superintendent. A dispute arose between him and a certain deacon, William Clebitz of that place. Clebitz leaned toward Calvinism. The elector, Frederick III, who had succeeded Otto Henry in 1559, admonished Hesus to express himself in regard to the Lord's Supper in accordance with the Osberg Confession. Hesus declared that he would look upon all who did not teach that the body of Christ is in the bread as winglians. He excommunicated Clebitz from the pulpit and even attempted to snatch the cup from his hand at the altar. The elector, upon this, deposed both of them and sent his secretary, Zielsler, to Wittenberg to obtain Melanchthon's advice. He replied on the 1st of November, and begins in the following manner. This answer is not a difficult, but a dangerous one. Yet I will say what I am able to say in regard to this dispute. Praying the Son of God, 
that he may direct your counsels and bring this matter to a happy conclusion. He approves of the proceeding of the elector in ordering both sides to remain silent and opposing them, and wishing them to use the Apostle Paul's formula, The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The Apostle does not say that the substance of the bread is changed, as the Papists maintain, nor that the bread is the essential body of Christ, as those of Bremen say, nor that the bread is the true body of Christ, as Hesus says, but communion, that is, that by which a union with the body of Christ is effected. He declares again, as he had often done before, that he believed in a presence of Christ, not on account of the bread, but on account of man. Christ makes us to be his members, and hereby testifies that he will make our bodies alive. Thus the ancients expressed themselves in regard to the Lord's Supper. It cannot be proved that he wished to open the door for the introduction of Calvin's doctrine into the Palatinate by this. It is well known from the history of the church in the Palatinate that the elector Frederick banished the Lutheran and introduced the Reformed doctrines into the Palatinate and at times made use of very harsh measures to effect this. This grieved the aged friends so much that although he had hitherto maintained friendly relations with Melanchthon, he made efforts to convene a synod at Stuttgart. Here it was agreed to make the doctrine that Christ's body is everywhere present, which is called the doctrine of the ubiquity, the confession of the Church of Württemberg. This gave great offense to Melanchthon, and disputes concerning the Lord's Supper arose on every side. The princes, especially the Landgrave, were anxious to hold a general synod, of which Melanchthon did not expect any good result, and he therefore endeavored to dissuade them from it in an opinion published December 18, 1559, in which he says, The name synod is a beautiful one and Christian synods, like those of the apostles, should be convened for the settlement of disputes. But these synods have frequently been the cause of great and cruel disorders, and it is about a great a risk to call one as to make war. Therefore, it would be well if the electors and princes would not be too precipitate and unadvisedly begin so dangerous a work. I do not say this for my own advantage, for although my enemies and their adherents condemn me, as they have persecuted and slandered me, I nevertheless rejoice that I am at last separated from such hypocrites, who encourage idolatry and murder, and as long as God grants life and reason to me, I am determined, by God's help, to adhere to that form of doctrine which I prepared forty years ago in the beginning of the visitation, for the benefit of youth, notwithstanding great persecution. And I commend our churches and authorities, and myself, to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He adds in conclusion, Finally, as union is not to be expected in such a synod, it is not advisable to assemble one, and as the meeting of the electors and princes 
is to be held for the purpose of deliberating in regard to the synod, I, as a humble individual, think that this meeting should also be omitted. For the princes would be urged continually until they would yield something to please others, and in the end it would give rise to dissatisfaction. While he was thus remonstrating against the holding of a general synod, the elector of the Palatinate, the Duke of Württemberg, and the Landgrave insisted upon summoning one, and their envoys endeavored to secure the assent of the elector Augustus to this plan. Melanchthon writes, I do not know what good this plan will effect, while parties are so greatly opposed to each other. He was also greatly distressed at this time on account of the persecutions endured by his friend Hardeberg in Bremen because of the Lord's Supper. Hessus, expelled from Heidelberg, came to Bremen, but declared that he could not accept the situation offered to him until Hardeberg would adopt different views. He proposed a discussion against which Melanchthon remonstrated in the strongest terms but when he found that it was nevertheless to take place, he resolved to go to Bremen himself in order to assist his friend. But Hardeberg would not enter into the discussion and was deposed in February 1561. But Melanchthon did not live to see this. He saw heavy thunder clouds rising around him on every side. Animosities were becoming more and more bitter from day to day and the inmost life of the evangelical church seemed to be destroyed. It is not at all to be wondered at that he began to long more and more earnestly for the eternal world, surrounded as he was by such gloomy prospects. He therefore says in a letter to Baumgartner of Nuremberg a few weeks before his death, I am consumed by my longing for the heavenly fatherland, and if I should be obliged to live much longer in this misery, I would wish to get farther away from this barbarity. This wish was soon to be gratified, and we are now approaching his departure. But we'll first of all briefly view his domestic life and his manifold meritorious services. End of chapter 34, part 2